0: The following podcast is brought to you by Open G Records, your home for great music, awesome musicians, as well as blogs and podcasts like this one. Check out current and past projects, as well as live streams of rehearsals, performances, interviews, etc. com, a place for music and ideas. This interview with composer and thinker Ed Jacobs was the very first I ever did for Open G Records. Uh, even though it's not the first to come out on the website and on iTunes, uh, like most of my interviews, this one was done in a room in my house where I practice and play video games that I call my man cave. Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to do these interviews in the first place is to show what real life is for musicians and what we really do during the course of our days and what kind of people we really are and. To that end, you really hear what real life is like for me in this case with a young son who was just a couple of weeks old who came into the interview with a cold and coughing and not feeling well and the buzzers for, for the intercom and for the laundry going off and uh, just life generally happening around me and Eddie having our interview so Eddie is a great friend of mine and actually wrote some music that appears on my debut release so uh actually let's take a listen to the first movement of his piece that he wrote for me oral history a-u-r-a-l oral history for clarinet and piano this features me on clarinet and zach bjerken on piano this movement is called mirage and it sounds like this Mm-hmm. was the first movement of oral history by my buddy Ed Jacobs that we'll be hearing from in just a second. That's available on OpenGRecords.com, iTunes, Amazon, and really anywhere digital music is streamed or sold. A word of warning about this episode, I had to put an explicit tag on it. Uh, Eddie and I are close friends and We speak expressively and explicitly, so if you're offended by language, uh, this is your warning to avoid this episode. And without any further ado, Ed Jacobs. Okay, so we're in my man cave here in New York City with composer and man about town, Ed Jacobs. (laughs) on what will be the first of assuredly several and what will hopefully be many podcasts from Open G Records with musicians, composers, interesting people. And the first of these I'm really glad to have my very good friend Ed Jacobs here in my man cave with me. Welcome, Ed. Thanks, Chris.
1: Great to be here.
0: Welcome to New York. Welcome to my home. Why are you in the city anyway?
1: Uh, My wife loves... My wife Patty loves to go to uh, the Westminster Dog Show, so that's where she is, and I just tag along as the uh, uh, dinner arranger.
0: Now I've been to your house. You don't have dogs, thankfully. So, yeah. so I don't really understand. <laughs> I don't really understand. You know, the you know, is it just something that she's loved for a long time, or yeah. is it just an excuse to come to New York? Yeah, exactly. Ah, okay. All right. <laughs> well, all right.
1: No, she loves them. We take care of my daughter's dog, right. but. Uh, She just loves them. Well, those are beautiful animals
0: that are like a whole mishigas and a scene down there. It's like, it's an insane thing. They show it on ESPN, for Christ's sake. It's bizarre. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal. So, um, where did you grow up? Where, you know...
1: I grew up in Boston, uh, just outside of Boston, uh, um,
0: uh, about a quarter mile away from BU in a town called Brookline. Um, Would that be... You know, basically, that's Boston. It's Boston. Yeah, yeah. 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 We walk
1: to Fenway Park. And you
0: know. <laughs> How many brothers and sisters do you have?
1: I'm the baby of five. Um, there's uh, The oldest is an actress, then a lawyer, then a juggler, then a philosopher, inventor, uh,
0: and then whatever it is that I do. A com- yeah, it's a complete uh, downward spiral from top to bottom. Exactly. There. We <laughs> say the lawyer is the black sheep in the family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and uh, when you were growing up, was there, is there a big Jewish community like in, in that town? Or you what? know
1: what, the town does have a big Jewish community. Not so much the side of town that I was from, but um, the town is known kind of as a Jewish community. But but not so much the side where I was from. I see. Um, but yeah, you know, we went to temple and all that until we got to a point where uh, I had a dear friend of mine and and I used to skip Hebrew school every day. And go yeah. to a Chinese restaurant and order spare <laughs> ribs and, and hide out in the park, and, and then go home when Hebrew
0: school was supposed to be over. Right. So, yeah. No, I I used to go to the the video arcade myself. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the, but I went on my own. Food, and that, food food has been my. No, thing, I get yeah. it. No, it's like it's the same. You know, you're just tickling different parts of yourself. Yeah. Um, well, so when did you start playing music? Did you? I mean, I assume you didn't start as like a composer. That would be really. That'd be uh, weird, huh? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess people like in, in their adulthood decide, I'm going to write music or something like that, but as a, a kid, without having any any yeah. knowledge whatsoever, I, so where did you start? I mean, what, what did you start?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. When I, well, the first instrument was uh, violin when I was in third grade. Everybody started violin, and I did that for a couple of years, and then um, heard a marching band and really <laughs> loved the trumpet. So I went into the band director and asked for a trumpet. And she said, uh, we're all out. But I have an alto saxophone. <laughs> so, uh, so I started with that. And the teachers that I had, the early teachers I had, were really interesting. Um, they, they hated the technique and the etude stuff. So he would give me an assignment. He would say, you know, learn the B-flat major scale and play this etude. And I would come in, and I would do that. We would be done in five minutes. And he would say, okay, I'm going to sit at the piano and play what sounds good to you. And oh, I see. That was that went on for years, and uh, I did. I became a good reader, sight reader, because he would have me do a little bit of that. And we, I played jazz, played in the jazz band, made arrangements for our jazz band. We play gigs with, whatever you know. I would. I would play the guitar solo on my saxophone of some Santana tune, yeah, or, yeah. or
0: whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So uh, would those those early kind of uh improvisatory lessons, were those were, were those jazz based or would you just strictly just say just play?
1: Well, it's an intri- he would say just play and what he was playing was jazz progressions, but I had no idea that's what they were. Uh I, I literally grew up with an AM radio. Right. So
0: I only knew the worst of. Talk, no, let's say let's say it, when you know. were born, just so we could put like put put some carbon dating. Yeah, 18,
1: on 20, uh, <laughs> uh, 1961. Okay. Uh, so when I was growing up in the late '60s and '70s, all we had was a little, you know, the alarm clock and the AM radio. Yeah, yeah. So I had no musical exposure or vocabulary. Um, so when this guy just said, "plays with
0: play what sounds good to your ear," I, you know, I thought what sounds good to my were, ear. Yeah. Almost like you were making that language up yourself. I, I, yeah, I, I was.
1: Um, I, by the time he had me learning Charlie Parker tunes
0: and how uh, old were I had you
1: then? no uh, freshman, sophomore in high school you know whatever 13, 14 um, but then finally he got me I think in my junior year of high school he got me a copy of the Omnibook which is all the Charlie the big Parker heads solos
0: and, like, and well
1: they're transcribed Charlie Parker oh, solos oh yeah right And and I, and I looked at them and then I looked at the tempo markings, and I said, "But this doesn't make any sense. You know, what, what, what? Seriously? You know, is this yeah, a right. misprint or whatever?" And then he started to give me some recordings, and I and I heard what was going on, and I and I recognized that these were the same chord progressions we've been
0: playing, but I've been playing yeah. for like you know, one. It's a major what speak. the fuck kind of moment, you know? Oh, it's like man, it was
1: unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Hey, we can swear on these things, by the way. I just want to go ahead and and just lay that rule out. Okay. You know, it's All just right. Like, that's cool. You know, I mean, it's. It's you know how many classical, you know it's, it's it's not fucking NPR that I'm trying to do here. You <laughs> know what I mean? So um, people even swear. Oh my god! Those. Actual adults who mm-hmm. who hang out occasionally use profanity. Mm-hmm. Um. So when you were doing all of that, I mean, obviously, uh, you you gained an interest enough to go to college for music. So like, where along the line did was there? Was there a seminal kind of experience? Was there a moment that you could point to where you were like, holy shit, I have to do this?
1: Um, well, when I, when I finished up high school um, and was looking at colleges, my music teachers were calling my dad and telling him I should think about music. Um, as I said, I was the fifth of five, and my pop man from the depression generation he basically had one concern and he, he wanted us to be stable funny you know able to Earn. support ourselves yeah yeah i don't have to be wealthy but you right know, god forbid you should be horribly poor and um so he would hang up on my music teachers um <laughs> and, and he would say we got enough of that in the family we don't need <laughs> and he made a deal with me he said uh if you go to liberal arts school for two years then if you still want to do music
0: that'll be okay um that sounds like a pretty fair deal from a guy from his generation. Actually,
1: I think it was a great deal. I think it was a
0: great deal. Yeah. And you know, and, uh, your story there, good. like it reminds me of so many comedians that I that I hear from or, or or that I listen to, who also said, you know, when they were going in into the into this, their parents were like, "Dude, uh-huh. I mean, really?" <laughs> because you know, I mean it 's a really bad market now, but it 's never been an easy market to make a job or or make a living right. playing music so I got to say it's rather progressive of your old man yeah. to put you in good. your situation so what kind what colleges i mean where did you look at or did you only really look at the one you went to well
1: i went to uh I ended up going to the university of Rochester for the the liberal arts part of it, and you know again when I say you only listen to a m radio that 's kind of a uh a symbol of my exposure, generally to to the music world and its education, I had no real idea that the Eastman School of Music was, a, you know, a particularly great place right. to go or anything. I went to University of Rochester, and so at my orientation before my freshman year, I met a guy. Uh, actually, his name is Scott Healy, and he's gone on to I think quite a great career. Um, and he was a pianist, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm here at University of Rochester for a year, but I'll be going over to Eastman." And I went home from. Uh, my orientation and I figured out that Eastman was a good place and so my two years of liberal arts were often spent on the bus going from Rochester uh, the river campus down to Eastman to jam with the guys at Eastman and to play gigs with them um, of course the guys at Eastman were much better but they had to cancel gigs every now and then so right. they would take me and um, and so I did that for a couple of years and then I ultimately I transferred to University of Massachusetts Amherst because as I said I I uh, Technique was not something I, I had any of it had never been encouraged. In terms
0: of playing the
1: instrument. Right, as far as an audition is concerned, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. it was an interesting audition actually. The guy was very, very nice, uh sax player there, Lin Clock, and he heard my audition. It was an off time. I probably played this in December or November or something for the January admission, and I think my technique was probably horrible. <laughs> uh, he could hear that my intonation was was pretty good and that there was some musicality, and he said he, he stopped me halfway through an audition, and he said, okay, let's play a duet together, and just do everything, you know, imitate my style.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And we did, and we finished, and uh, he offered me a scholarship. Uh, so whenever he heard, they were, let him be very encouraging, and it was really a, a great entree for me. And I had already been writing, About <laughs> a year and a half later, I, I went to a composition teacher and started working with him, and uh, then on to Cal Berkeley, and... Uh, for a oh, oh, you're before. getting ahead of where I want to get. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, let me, sorry. Let me. Let me. And here I am in your mansion. Well, yeah, I know. Right. Come on, you got to follow my rules here. Right. So let's. Uh... <laughs> so, let's anyways, I didn't forward. really choose carefully. I, no, I did. Well, no, and sort
0: of me. like your ears got you the scholarship. You know, mm-hmm. you're you know between him hearing your pitch and and your oh, natural your ability, and and that's interesting to me because you're someone that I always describe as having crazy ears. i mean you uh, listening to music with you is educational to me because i don't hear a lot of the stuff that that you hear especially on first hearing
1: interesting
0: uh you know it takes me
1: i don't think of you that way but okay no
0: it's (laughs) for sure i mean what why why would i mention any weakness that i possibly have it's not (laughs) it's not my nature um you know but that's that's an interesting interesting thing to me, I've always felt, you know, of, of all the musicians that I know, that, that you're, you have the sharpest ear hmm. for stuff. That, well, interesting. Um, and, 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 I should uh, you spoil
1: know, the whole story and say he let me into the studio because he didn't have any students. Well, <laughs> uh, student <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> hey, I, man. I don't really know. So.
0: You know, it's a. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I can't get him to stop coughing. Hold on a second. We have a baby emergency. Hold on. I'm just going to let you're it roll. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. That's oh, okay. Oh, buddy.
1: Okay, they'll get over it quickly.
0: Oh, I know. Oh, it's very rough. You're on tape, by the way. I, I should was just was put this all Saul's,
1: on. Was catching souls catching first cold.
0: Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> <laughs> it's the first. I wonder word. how much of that I'll edit out. <laughs> I, you know, I really meant It should be a separate tape for that. To yeah. be unedited, yeah. soul <laughs> well, tapes. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've been uh, waylaid by my son, it's just like my practicing. Uh, you know, it's like, it's occasionally I can get it. Okay, so let's go back. You're in, you're in college, and you would mention something that I wanted to talk about, and that was that you started writing. Yeah. Um, when was that?
1: Well, the first things I wrote were... Um, actually arrangements in high school for the kids in the jazz band with me. But then uh, I wrote, actually the first thing I wrote was for the jazz band at at UMass. And uh, the director was really, really kind and gracious and uh, had me do an arrangement and put that on and we performed it. Um, It was not a particularly good piece. It was not really well structured as far as jazz was concerned. It was this other thing that was sort of in my head. And... Then uh, after that, I guess I started studying with Sal Machia in probably, uh, uh, I don't know, 1982 or so. That was my first teacher. And Sal's bass player, great teacher, unbelievable ears. Uh, got a, That's it, kind of an day fix for this today. I, Well, maybe, but his ears are, are really something. I mean, they're just unbelievable. And, um, and so I worked with him for a couple of years. And he had me doing all kinds of stuff and listening to all kinds of stuff. And He was a bass player who certainly understood jazz and played in orchestras as well. And, uh, so he he's just an amazing influence for, for those first few years of composition.
0: So your first writing... My first pieces? Were, were jazz?
1: Well, the first thing I did was an arrangement for jazz band, but I wouldn't call it jazz. Uh, that was just the instrumentation that I knew uh, because I played in big bands. Right. Those were the... You know, a school music, large ensemble kind of things, um, as well as wind ensemble. But I just didn't know those. Oh, I
0: think I've seen a picture of you from those years when you had hair. You had yeah, a, that's right. yeah, that's right. Yeah, somebody put little, that up your, on your, Facebook. you Jufro, yeah. like just that's rolling. right rolling. <laughs>
1: that's right. So that that first thing was, and then I heard um, uh, uh, the clarinetist put on the clarinetist, the mask guy named Joe Cantino, uh, put on a faculty recital, and. Didn't know anything about it, but wanted to support him. He was woodwind faculty, you know. Right. So I went, and there was this piece on the second half that a good friend of mine, a sax player, George Waramchuk, and I heard it was Messian's Quartet for the end of time. Okay. And I had no, it, you know, seeing its title on the program meant absolutely nothing. Right. And first time I ever wept at a piece of music, and I'd never had an experience like that. I had no idea how good the performance was, but. It yeah, well, was it was great. I mean, clearly. clearly, well, yes, that's right. I mean, you know, technically, I have no idea. Right, what, what it, doesn't, it doesn't, it um, doesn't matter. Uh, and I left with uh, George, and I walked out of that recital, and I think he was as moved as I was. And and I say, I that's
0: that's what I need to do. That I need to write re- yeah. non-retrogradable rhythm. That's right. <laughs> in modes <laughs> of limited <laughs> transposition. That's right. So he uh,
1: he said, okay, if you write something, I'll play it. And that's what happens. Yeah, man, that's
0: how it works. You write something, and I'll play it. Is the root of all kinds of of problems. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So from there, you started writing, and by the time you went to your master's degree, was that that was your focus? Yeah. I mean, no,
1: I went for composition. I mean, that was the only thing that I was applying. Berkeley, Cal, to Cal Berkeley. Yeah. Um, But I had only written three pieces before that. I mean, my application portfolio was my entire output <laughs> <laughs> so um, they, were, they were very nice can and... we see more no, no. <laughs> i mean how long do you have can you, can, can you give me a week
0: i'll give you seven bars that was it
1: so i was out there for a couple of years and worked with um uh gerard Grise, uh and uh ollie wilson andy imbry and and, and it was a it was a great place and it was a great time and it gave me I met a lot of wonderful people and we're, we were there for a couple of years and really loved it um
0: now you say we what were you talking uh, about
1: uh it was my f- when when I went out I was engaged between my first and second year I got married uh to my first wife and uh you know so we were married for the second year um and then we moved back to we knew we wanted to come back east probably um Especially since my dad had died in the interim, uh, while I was what year? Brooklyn. Where? What year is this? Eighty six. Um, we got married in eighty five. My dad died. In 86. So you were twenty
0: five. Yeah. yeah. That sucks.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't.
0: Uh, it wasn't good. How did that? Good. I mean, did that like? I mean, did you just keep going through that? I mean, did you uh, well, take off any time from school?
1: No. It was. Uh, it was late February in my second year. And, you know, I only had a few months left uh, in my master's degree. And, you know, I think I came back east for a week, maybe two. I was studying with Ollie Wilson at the time. He was just unbelievable. He just said, you need to be where you need to be and you'll decide and don't worry about anything here. I'll take care of it. And he did. I mean, everything was, was fine. Everybody was very sympathetic. I felt very supported. And I came back, and it was a cathartic musical experience because I had been working on a piece uh for chorus that uh, was was just not working for me and I came back and this other piece came out for chorus and two brass mm. and percussion and um you know you do you just work through it you just i I'm lucky to be in a family of five and have my brothers and sisters' sister to talk to about stuff and you know it was it was hard 25 year old kid trying to yeah. figure stuff out just married uh hadn't seen my dad in the last 6 months of his life cuz of course he was in boston and i was out in california so you know all kinds of shit i'm probably still working through
0: yeah oh i you was know? going to ask yeah. you about that i mean you know how do you think it affects you yeah now at at, at you know 75
1: yeah right uh it's uh it does still affect me the things uh, so many years later now 27 years later um, I suppose it affects how I think about my relationship with my son mm-hmm. uh, It certainly affected the relationship I had with my mother and how old is
0: so, your how old is Joe uh,
1: Joe's is uh, uh, born in 88 so he's he'll be 25 this year.
0: Yeah, so imagine looking at your son mm-hmm. at 25 and think that's when you dealt with your dad dying. That's I mean, right. wow. I mean, that's like... Yeah,
1: I try not... I, I actually have not pointed that out to him. Uh, I, yeah.
0: I Sorry to, uh, to, to bring... Let me the, darken the mood yeah, let for me, the let me, next few years. <laughs> bring Charon's <laughs> boat into the into the conversation. Yeah, yeah so when did you have Job? You know, in, obviously, you said... 88, you know, yeah. So we're back you were, here in New York. Yeah, yeah and, and you were doing... You were working at that... Time on a on a doctorate, yeah, in at Columbia, right? Yep. And your teacher, for the most part, there was. Or um, did you study from with a lot of people? I,
1: yeah, I actually studied with a lot of people. I started that first year seminar was with uh, Tzu Hinseng, and Song, um, and I had a lot of colleagues who've gone on to very distinguished careers. There, there were there were lots and lots of great talent around, and uh, it was it was a really inspiring place to be. The first year was with Sue. Uh, Two and sung and then the next year it was a wonderful year. It was with Marty Boykin, who is on the faculty at Brandeis up in Boston, Walton thing, uh, outside of Boston, and he was down for a year. He had a year off at Brandeis, and they brought him into Columbia, and I had a wonderful year with him. I wrote a song cycle with him, and he's a guy's brilliant, you know, child prodigy pianist.
0: And, What's this guy look like? Uh, Beard, like dark me, hair, not
1: quite so, not quite as tall. Yeah, smaller. Stature, but, but I might have worked uh, sort of with him at the. Yeah.
0: No, I should. Norfolk? I should keep my mouth shut. Yeah, Norfolk. You might have. Well, no, I'm about to like you know like burn some bridges, so I'm just gonna like keep oh. my mouth shut. I, okay. I, I just like you know, if this is the same, I, I don't know that the same guy that I'm thinking of, because so I shouldn't. Mm, You're thinking of Marty Bresnik Yes, I am. Yes. Who I don't care for his shit. If can I say that? Cause I, I was just, gonna I think say you just did if i yeah. could like if i could have defined that the dude uh, that i was previously talking about was the guy i don't get it i went up there and 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 you know he and john tower are on the faculty and we had some sort of evening where we went had a retrospective of their music and i was just like i don't fucking get what you're at mm-hmm. here but whatever
1: yeah you know he's i i can't say i know him well i met him um I, uh, his his music is not doesn't touch it's, me as deeply yeah, as other, but I understand. That's he's a an interesting way to put teacher.
0: it. Well, okay, I could buy so that. So told. Yeah. no, I could buy that. Yeah. But you know, that's the thing that I that I really dislike about what we could would consider to be you know quote unquote new music, sort of new serious classical music, is the, is the level of charlatanism that passes (laughs) for actual composition is 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 is, it it probably the equals in the art world because when you look at what passes for art as as modern art you're just like you know look you're talking to a big fan of jasper johns you know Mm -hmm. i i play a lot of new music i Mm -hmm. love modern art Mm -hmm. but there's a whole 95% 95% of it is horseshit, mm-hmm. and I, I, I assume that that's probably, you know, if we went back to Mozart's Always time and is, listened right. to, like, all of the crap that was roaming around, mm-hmm. but still, you know, there, there there's this level of politeness that we're all supposed to have just because someone has produced a work of art, like, I'm supposed to be proud of you... For doing what you want to do, mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm supposed to coddle your ego because you're brave enough to put your stuff out there in front of everybody. But your stuff might suck,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, you know I, I sort of here's a, here's one of the tangents we were talking. You mm-hmm. know I, I I heard a box set of Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic live performances from the '60s or mm-hmm. something like that, and one of the CDs is nothing but premieres. That they did, and mm. um, and at the end of them, a few of them get, re- you know, lustily booed mm-hmm. by the live audience, mm-hmm. and that's not something that you would ever see today, mm-hmm. everyone gets at least a tepid bit of applause, mm-hmm. and often a standing ovation, which has become completely fucking worthless, yeah. I would just love it if we could somehow return to the point where audiences' Where we actually self-policed ourselves, yeah, yeah. self-policed ourselves. If uh, if mm-hmm. I could be more redundant, but you know, where do you where do you think about it? what do you, you well, know, where do you uh, stand on that? Uh, uh, um,
1: the first thing that's coming to mind. We were just talking about uh, my undergraduate teacher, Sal Machia, and when I was applying to graduate schools, this was eighty four, eighty three. I was applying, and uh, I was one of very few students he had ever had, and he, he said, you know, I think maybe I have talent but I'm not sure, let's apply you know, widely and so on. So one of the schools I applied to was his alma mater, uh, Yale. And so we went down, we were in Amherst, the drive to New Haven was not that long. So we went down to do an interview, actually with Marty Bresnick, and uh, to attend a student composition concert, recital, whatever. And, you know, all the student pieces. So we went to it. And that night, we, we were driving back to Amherst, and Sal was furious. I, I You know, I couldn't figure out what was going on, and I, and I said, so what did you think of this concert? And he said, it was the biggest pile of horse shit, and back in my day, we would literally have been throwing rotten vegetables up on the stage, but now, everybody just pussyfoots around everything, it's just total shit, and nobody called it for what it was. There wasn't a good note of music on the whole fucking night, and he went on I swear, <laughs> he was still ranting when we got to my apartment right. and he dropped me up. Uh, and, you know, I, look, we have grown through unbelievably PC times, right? I mean, these are the days when, when, when I was at Columbia, it was all about political correctness. And it, it's a very tough thing to sort of walk through and apply standards at the same time. I mean, here you are trying to figure out how to make a musical statement that means something when all around you... People are doing things that you know, you know, wait a second, this just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just doesn't. But at at the same time, protests are coming up by anybody who calls them on their shit.
0: So you just think, you know what? Yeah. This is horseshit. I'm just going to put my head down. I recall recently, like, um, I think a guy from the Cleveland Quartet or something like that got in trouble at a new music concert where he stood up and just basically said, this is bullshit what Mm -hmm. we're listening to. And then got like his ass handed to yeah. him on social media for it. But I'm sorry, maybe I'm old school too. But I, you know, I wish that people would stand up more and say that fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say what you want about pop music, and for the most part, it blows. But there are there are amazing, mm-hmm. hardworking artists out there. Sure. You know, there there are such things as one-hit wonders because maybe you have an original idea or something is, origi- is catchy or what have you, but then the next thing that comes out just ain't as good and there's just like this sort of self-editing mechanism within the fandom of pop music that we don't really have within mm-hmm. the fandom of classical music. Mm-hmm. I understand that it, it takes a certain amount of balls to like stand up there and say, this is my music and I worked hard on it. Mm-hmm. And it might be unsuccessful. But it also takes a lot of balls to stand up there and play that music. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, have the chance of failing. Mm-hmm. And not only that, have people, you know, judge your playing by the absolute stinking piece of horse mm-hmm. shit that you just played on mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I I would love to see a swing in the pendulum towards a self-correcting, let's create good music and let's stop talking bullshit about, like, guys... Who could barely make it through music school? Now making a sort of classical band together. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think you know there's uh, there's a couple of things buried in there, and, and one, of course, is the distinction often in the classical concert world between the performer and the writer, right? In the pop world, sometimes yeah, right. those well those overlap a whole lot more.
0: Right, right. Um, but and oftentimes, if somebody's written the song, you don't know that. You don't. You only know that that's the artist singing the song. Right. Don't you don't even know them as the one who created it. And
1: of course, right. you know somebody else may have written it too.
0: Sure. Of course. Oh yeah.
1: But in the classical, I mean, when you get up there and you play a concert of clarinet music, chances are uh, you're not the composer of it because right. that's that's not how you have trained yourself or the or the path you've taken at this point. You have written. I know that, but. You know, yeah, I'm not a dude who writes for my clients like right. Low
0: and Stern or something like right. that. Yeah, and that's
1: sure. a different sort of uh, that's a different sort of thing. And I also I do appreciate a wonderful performance and the full effort and the performer just you know laying it all down there, no matter what they're being asked to do, and trying to make sense out of something. And if it's something that has no. Rich tradition behind it, and by rich tradition, I'm talking about a particular syntax, not the rich tradition we have behind us of music. But uh, somebody is is creating a new way of putting together notes or new ideas, and you know what? It may not be fully realized yet, or it may not even be that sophisticated. But the performer is sitting there trying to make sense out of this thing, and it is entirely possible that the performer deserves that standing ovation for an insane effort.
0: To put on because they've oh, been hired, yeah, To put but together something that's never happened. You know? Well, no, if the piece of music is ass, then you're just gonna get the. Well, I have seen, we've all seen really fine performances, of no doubt, shit music no doubt, but I'm not led to stand it, yeah. up for that because it's just like I can't right I, well, well, you know, I didn't like it. No, no. I appreciate, it. yeah, that that but that comes that into the range has of to be, appreciating. You know. Rather than liking, you know what I well, mean. Well, that's it's right. Like, and, but well,
1: but liking what the performer has done. I mean, you can see the performers.
0: Yeah, no, I get what you're getting at. coming through? But that, I still you know. think, you know, listen, you'd you'd have to give a miraculous performance to like get a standing o from a, a shit piece. Y- y- even yeah, that is. I understand what you're saying. At least gets the right. So let me ask you, uh, when when did you have the first performance of work of a work of yours that you were satisfied with? That you know, maybe, you know, earlier you thought, oh, that's cool sounding, or that's, you know, this, that, and the other, but when did you have an actual fulfilling performance of a piece of your music?
1: Uh, it was not till 1988 uh, at the Wellesley Composers Conference, uh, run by Mario Davidovsky and uh, some really great players from New York and Boston uh, are there, and it was a little song cycle, uh, the one that I mentioned that I wrote with Marty Boykin actually mm-hmm. and it's for uh, soprano and uh, bass clarinet viola and percussion and uh, Emily Dickinson songs and it was the first time that I had professionals really look through music that uh, they just could totally nailed it um, and, th- and that was an amazing experience yeah uh, 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 you know I had been writing for whatever five six years and uh I hadn't seen anything like that. What I wanted to hear is what happened and, w- and more. All
0: right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and in the interim, um, I, one of the things that I don't think performers appreciate as much as perhaps they could, and having written just a couple of things, I can only you know sort of still stand on the outside and 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 know it, but I, I do get it on a small scale. Is the innumerable disastrous performances that mm-hmm. you have to sit through of Stuff that you know is better than that, you hope <laughs> okay, or that, that you, you don't know, you shit hope is better than that. that. Yeah. You know, I don't think that performers know, you know, really think enough about what it's like to sit there in, in the audience and watch something that you created either take off or flame out mm-hmm. that you have absolutely no control over. You have yeah. no, um, you have no no hand in the jar so I mean when it gets to having a good performance I would imagine that it's like a good performance is an amazing thing
1: um, in no small part because you when, when people come up to you after they hear it hear a good performance and they tell you what they liked and they tell you how much they liked it you realize that what they liked is what you wrote because, of course, whatever is performed and they hear, that's the piece. That's the piece, So right? if the performer's unable to to cut it or they shit all over it or whatever the case
0: may be, I mean, that's still the piece. That's a very real, you know? like, it's a very real possibility and danger with your music in particular because, you know, it's... Uh, it's fucking hard. It is hard. <laughs> it, like, it requires, like a, like, an entry ticket. You know, it's, you you do not, it's one of those, you can't ride this ride unless you're this tall. (laughs) You know, there's, seriously, looking at the first measure of music that you wrote for Nathan's piece, for the uh, function of memory, memory for clarinet and electronic sounds, the first 30 seconds of music that you have to play is literally impossible unless you have a certain threshold of technical... Is, is, that, is that almost like a self-editing mechanism, or is that just how you hear it?
1: That's a great question. Oh, no,
0: it was a, uh, you know Nathan? He's a fine, fine player. No, oh, the dude and, is massively, like, he's massively talented. Yeah, and I just heard that happening, and so I wrote it. So you, you wouldn't consider the music that you'd written prior to that I mean you it's, know it's
1: difficult the stuff before yeah. so, so
0: overall do you think is that like the price of admission or is that just your language period
1: I think it's just my language I never I, I don't like the idea frankly of the music being uh, you have to be at a certain level to play it um, I, I, I don't really like that idea uh, but it is what it is I'm gonna write what I write and of course I have the luxury of not I my writing does not support my my existence, right? That's not where my paycheck comes from. Um, for, you mean rather from I your teach, teaching, yeah. right?
0: So uh, we should mention at this point that you teach, and then we'll get back into this at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where I taught with you there for ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just ask you: You have to make a phone call at two. I do. I do. I do. Um, that's in four minutes, actually. Okay. okay. Uh, and then we'll take a break, and may, do you mind, like, doing maybe a little bit No, no, more no, happy to,
1: happy to continue.
0: Okay, so, um... Yeah, so the, um,
1: the, the teach, you know, I am not, uh, I'm, I don't rely on getting tons of performances, or, or any, you know, many performances and those royalties and all of that to live, so I write what I want to hear, I'm not writing for... Uh, You know, fame or for the income I know I have to get. It's it's interesting because a number of years ago I was approached by a a high school in Greenville, North Carolina, J.H. Road High School, and this is in 99 or so, to write a piece for the student orchestra.
0: Right, I recall.
1: Yeah, and it was very interesting because, of course, my music is difficult. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, And I had no desire to scare these kids or to intimidate them out of wanting to make music. Right. So I spent a little bit of time with them there and, and I tried to write what I thought they could do. You know, I the first gesture in the piece, I know kids are going to be scared and all that on a, on a concert or new piece, I mean the first thing is just a rhythm on open strings I and mean, it's mm-hmm. just DNA ringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I would get a nice band of pitch. <laughs> you know, from tuning Hopefully from uh, the high start. school group. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Um, but it It's an interesting thing to be that aware of. I I have been blessed in my opportunities to write. I've been asked to write pieces for players
0: who can do anything. That's what I was going to say. So it's less, you know, perhaps that it's um, uh, too difficult for some. It is that you wrote it for particular people who actually are capable of of doing all this. You, You are not alone by the way, in having music that has like a, a very high, like you know, technical threshold. Level. I mean, there, a, a lot of modern composers, in particular, uh, you know, you just can't get to their stuff until you can, you can manipulate Play on a, a certain perform. level. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go ahead and take a little break here. Okay. I, I'm going to pause okay. this, and then okay. we'll uh, we'll restart Okay. Okay. So here we are. We're back. So, speaking of satisfying performances... <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No,
0: so the reason that we have you here today, uh, Eddie, besides, of course, wanting to see you and uh, enjoying your company and your words, etc., is that two of your works are on um, the CD that will be released. I should call it a record. I keep calling it a CD, but CDs are dead. I was going to say... Uh, I'm audio sorry. File. I want yeah. to call it a record. It's a record that will be released on... OpenG.com um, Also uh, Bandcamp.com Under OpenG Records uh, Is actually cool. going to be the point of sale um, OpenGrecords.com Will point you via click through To uh, uh, to The Bandcamp site um, Because uh, I don't really want to make CDs mm-hmm. You know um, All digital With some projects There may be some Need to do that. But I'm going to resist it with mine. Um, it's going to be five bucks. Um, no individual tracks. Buy the record for five dollars. Oh, okay. Um, or don't. I don't care. Uh-huh. No, I care. Please buy the record. <laughs> okay. um, so the two pieces that are on on the record, um, we, we talked about one um, earlier, which was the uh, fun- a, a function of memory for clarinet and uh pre-recorded electronic sounds um and then the, the other work on the record is actually a work that you wrote for me mm-hmm. um and that's called oral history a-u-r-a-l history and um you know it's kind of interesting i think a, a lot of the things that we talked about today uh, are, are making me think about the piece because um well, we talk about the first movement of it, it really, I think you were inspired by hearing another performance of the quartet for In the End of Time and the yeah. unison movement mm-hmm. thereof, but what's interesting to me is that like the, the language itself is more akin to probably what you started
1: and playing. a vocabulary jazz, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's it, it's heavily jazz influenced, but it's also clearly drawing on the the Unison movement in the Messian, the Quartet for the End of Time. Uh, the the movement, you know, I've come to actually like this piece quite a lot um, through your performance. You've you've shown me a lot about the piece. <laughs> and, and no, 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 I'm serious. Um, especially the middle movement. The yeah. middle movement for me is uh, it's a real soft spot. Uh, I I really. I really quite like that. I like the idea. Well, you know, that might be,
0: um, 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 if I can lather my myself up briefly, (laughs) that might be like actually something um, that is more akin to to something that might be my style of performance. Mm -hmm. uh, In terms of you saying that it elucidates things for you, because that's that's the recording in the recording. It's one take, basically. We used one long take for it and we didn't edit out mm-hmm. any of the breath sounds and we didn't edit out any of the sort of grunny and wheezy kind of things that come along with it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that indeed the movement is entitled recitative, mm-hmm. it works. And I, But I, what's funny is I don't think we were trying to make it work that way. Mm-hmm. It, it But it works that way. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, whether it's... Uh, uh, some of it, honestly, is uh, Adam Abe's house genius, like miking. Uh, he just he got yeah, he got a great he got great the live sound. performance yeah. there that yeah. that that sounds. You know, the thing that I that I thought the most when I got the record was this sounds like I thought it did. Uh-huh. And that's yeah, it's real awesome. It's, it's not produced. That's that's it's you produced, know sound. that's really so so. Um, the second movement you wrote first yeah is that is that right though
1: i think i did uh, and that's often what happens is whatever the slow music that draws me into a piece uh, maybe it's because it's just the way my brain has to warm up so the first things i hear are slow i don't know uh, but i i tend to write those first the slow movements um but then the way that linked with everything uh, around it in your piece uh, and especially the transitions uh in the in the piano between the second and third movement that uh that's something I quite like
0: yeah yeah i'm I'm not gonna play uh any of the music on these podcasts just because go buy it it's five bucks I mean let's be honest you can afford it um, and then you can hear exactly what we're talking about in terms of this um uh, you know but I didn't really um I didn't really think that I that I got the piece until I really uh you know, we gave a premiere of it, and it's, it is difficult, and it went okay. And a couple of people attempted it in between that and the recording, and then when we did the recording, it kind of became what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really proud of it. I really, you know, I, I I listen to the piece, and I think, man, you know, it's like, that's got my name on it. And yeah. um, I have no doubt, I mean, obviously other people have already, have already played it and stuff, and hopefully from hearing this... Um, a movement of uh, of this is going to be on another podcast that will be on March third. Uh-huh. Um, that will hopefully point people in the direction of uh, of hearing what mm-hmm. we're talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just hope uh, I hope more people hear your stuff and more clarinetists hear your stuff because clarinet players, wind players in general, will buy music. You mm-hmm. know, it's one thing that like composers are always wanting to write for elevated ensembles but you know if you wrote a tuba piece you know 2000 tuba players you know will buy sure. it on Tuesday right yeah. you know and and so you know i i hope that you know clarinet players go check out uh clarinet corner podcast listen to his music listen to the stuff that we've done together and uh you know your stuff. There
1: you go. Full indoors. Uh,
0: okay, so Eddie, thank you very much for coming into my man cave. Hopefully, this Thanks. will be a return engagement soon. Thanks. Man. And uh, I just, uh, I love you. I think you're the greatest dude. And um, let's uh, let's make this a regular thing. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. I love you. This is dude. Great.